And so the Bible says that the devil as a roaring lion is walking about seeking whom he may devour. I do believe, and you know this, that the days ahead of us in the world are not going to be getting easier. That means that for us who profess Christ, the narrow road in the way of speaking is going to become more narrow. It's my personal belief. And someone sent me a little clip from a longer message by Mario Murillo, who was stating there the same thing that I'm saying to you about the days ahead, and was exhorting his readers not to listen to any preacher that tells you differently. It's going to get easier and good times and what have you. Well, good times are ahead of us, yes, in the new heaven and the new earth. But prior to that, this road is going to become extremely narrow, and we will find out who shall endure to the end. My prayer is that you and I and many other people that I know personally will be on that list. But let me just start today by saying to you, I cannot remember struggling so much with a small part of a message like I have with this one here. There's a part of me that doesn't really want to present to you what I feel both duty and responsibility demands. Nevertheless, I have prayed and I have spoken to the Lord that above and beyond everything else, I will do my duty and I will be responsible. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, please, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And what I want to talk to you about today is actually the easier part of the message, which states how to have serenity in Christ. And what I want to accent is simplicity. But in order to get there, I have to introduce you to the complex and complicated things that we are facing inside the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Would to God that ye would bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I want to read to you what has been published as a prayer. It is written by a woman with multiple degrees, including a PhD, who is, at the moment, at present, an assistant professor of theology at a Bible school in Georgia. Her prayer has been published in a book of prayers, or essays, or whatever they may be, called A Rhythm of Prayer. It is on the New York Times bestseller list as a number one. So keep in mind that what you're hearing is both a number one bestseller on the New York Times list of books as well as Amazon, and I present it to you as evidence of what we're facing. This prayer was written by Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes and goes like this. Dear God, please help me to hate white people, or at least to want to hate them. At least I want to stop caring about them individually and collectively. I want to stop caring about their misguided, racist souls, to stop believing that they can be better, that they can't stop being a racist. 
I'm not talking about the white anti-racist allies who have taken up the struggle against racism with their whole lives, the ones who stand vigil for weeks outside jails where black women were killed, who show up in Charlottesville and Ferguson and Baltimore and Pasadena to take a public stand against racism and police brutality, who are so committed to fighting white supremacy that their own lives bear the wounds of its scars. Those aren't the people I want to hate. I'm not even talking about the ardent racists either, the strident segregationists who mow down nonviolent anti-racist protesters who open fire on black churchgoers or who plot acts of racial terrorism hoping to start a race war. Those people are already in hell. There is no need to waste hatred on them. Perhaps, however, you can make sure that they don't take the rest of us with them that attempts at harming others are thwarted and that they don't gain access to positions of power. My prayer is that you would help me to hate the other white people, you know, the nice ones. The Fox News loving Trump supporting voter who, quote, don't see color, end quote, but who make thinly veiled racist comments about, quote, those people, end quote. The people who are happy to have me over for dinner but alert the neighborhood watch anytime an unrecognized person of color passes their house. The people who welcome black people in their churches in small groups but brand us as heretics if we suggest that Christianity is concerned with the poor and the oppressed. The people who politely tell us that we can leave when we call out the racial microaggressions we experienced in their ministries. But since I don't have many relationships with people like that, perhaps they're not a good use of hatred either. Lord, grant me then the permission and desire to hate the white people who claim the progressive label, but who are really wolves in sheep's clothing. Those who've learned enough history, read enough books, spent enough time in other countries to make themselves seem knowledgeable, even though that knowledge remains far removed from their hearts. Those whose unexamined white supremacy bubbles up at times, I'm not expecting it, when I have my guard down and my heart open. Lord, you can't make me hate them. At least spare me from their perennial gaslighting, white mansplaining, and white woman tears. Lord, if it be your will, harden my heart. Stop me from striving to see the best in people. Stop me from being hopeful that white people can do and be better. Let me imagine them instead as white hooded robes standing in front of burning crosses. Let me see them as hopelessly unrepentant, reprobate bigots who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and who need to be handed over to the evil one. Let me be like Jonah, unwilling for my enemies to change, or like Lot, able to walk away from them and their sinfulness without trying to call them to repentance. Let me stop seeing them as members of the same body. Free me from this burden of calling them to confession and repentance. Grant me a get-out-of-judgment-free card. If I make white people the exception to your commandment to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But I trust in you, my Lord. You have kept my love and my hope steadfast even when they have trampled on it. You have rescued me from the monster of racism when it sought to devour me. You have lifted up my head when it was low and healed my heart when it was wounded. You have not given me up to slavery or to Jim Crow or to the systems of structural oppression but you called me to be an agent in your ministry of justice and reconciliation. And you have not allowed me to languish alone 
but you have lighted the path towards beloved community with the loving witness of the ancestors, elders, and sojourners who have come before me and who stand with me today. Thus, in the spirits of Fanny and Ida and Polly and Ella and Septima and Coretta, I pray and I press on in love. Now, I'm not here to make necessarily an elaborate criticism of this, nor a defense, as many have. The title of this in the book, Rhythms of Prayer, is The Prayer of a Weary Black Woman. My objection is twofold. Number one, that it's been published. In a time when racial tensions are perhaps at its worst in my generation since I've been alive, this published prayer, if it be indeed a prayer, is going to make matters much worse. I also object to her title, Assistant Professor of Theology. This is a small Bible for which I want to read a comment. Actually, it's a quote in just a moment, but that is not the theology of this book. And secondly, I object to this publication on the following grounds. Let us switch the words and see how it reads. Dear God, please help me to hate black people or at least to want to hate them. My prayer is that you would help me to hate the other black people, you know, the nice ones, the CNN news-loving, Biden-supporting voter, and so on. Doesn't read quite as well, does it? Let's try it again. Dear God, please help me to hate Jews, or at least to want to hate them. That doesn't read so well either. Let's try Latino. Dear God, please help me to hate Latinos, or at least want to hate them. And you can go down an extensive list of names of ethnic individuals and ethnic people that we know that this would not be accepted in America. And for that matter, wouldn't be accepted in most parts of the world. My objection, again, is twofold. You see, whatever we pray to God in private is private. You have no idea what I pray in private because I don't tell you. And I think that we all say things to God that at times we think better when we walk away from it, that maybe that was better left unsaid, even to God. But when she states that she was under a time pressure to get this publication in a book for which she had already signed on for one of the works put together by this woman here, Sarah B.C., who has written this compilation of prayers or essays and um, is herself titled as a Jesus feminist, and wrote another book, Making Peace with an Evolving Faith. And when I read the biography of Shaniqua Walker Barnes and find out from the university's website that her main influences as an assistant professor of theology has been Methodism, Baptist theology, social justice. So far, I'm, I'm hanging in. And then it adds, and also Buddhism and Islam. And again, I don't want to really bog down this message with too much commentary on this publication, but to say it is not Christ-centered theology. We live in a world of hatred, and it's showing up everywhere. And again, I'm not here. I'm not appointed to defend her. I'm not appointed to actually criticize her. I'm submitting this to you as evidence of the problem we have inside the church that an assistant professor of theology can publish this work, then make references to the imprecatory psalms and speaking in my field of theology. And 44 years of being in the field as a pastor, I could point to many, many more verses in the scriptures, particularly in the New Testament 
and Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 and the Sermon on the Mount that this is not the Jesus that so loved the world and still loves the world. I simply submitted to you as evidence of the times in which we're living that corruption is not just outside the, the so-called walls of the church, but it's deep inside, deep inside. And as I mentioned just a few moments ago, if the walk with Christ has been hard so far, I do believe it will be tougher yet because this is what we're up against. I may also add one last thing. A black woman is not the only one that's weary. And for those of you who know my testimony, let me tell you something. Those that are mentally ill come in all colors and suffer more discrimination than most people do around the world. But I'll leave that off. What I want to do is to help you to find serenity with simplicity in Christ. When we look at Jesus, he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He will go on then to say to his followers, ye are the light of the world. Plato, the student of Socrates, said something along these lines that is wisdom for us. He said, we can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. He said, the real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. There are people today that want to paint Jesus all kinds of colors, including American. And he's not. He's God come in the flesh, who has no bias. He has no prejudice. He does have an agenda, that's for certain. But when do people who profess Christ finally say to themselves, that was the last straw? I will live my life to give honor to God and God alone. I believe that that time has come. But let me give you some further wisdom from Sun Tzu in his book, The Art of War, that I believe will also help us. He said, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. The Greeks had that saying, know thyself. And the scriptures help us with that. All have sinned. There's no exemptions. All have sinned. And that's knowing ourselves. My prayer for quite many hours before coming to this pulpit is, God, I can do nothing without you. Nothing. I can't do anything without you, Lord. I know myself, as the Bible has revealed it, and I've come to know more about both the Bible and myself from reading and practice. Then I say, well, who is the enemy? Satan. Satan is the enemy. And again, he comes in all shades of color and backgrounds and pretenses. And if we know who the enemy is, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and certainly a professor of theology should know that, and if you know that without Jesus we can't do a thing, then we will win this battle. Because in the end, we are promised victory. I brought this out because I fell upon it. I will say by accident before coming out here. This was presented to me 34 years ago by the church that I had formerly pastored on the Sunday, my last Sunday there. And it reads this way. From the trustee board to Pastor Ray, our teacher, pastor, friend. Your inspirational leadership will never be forgotten. God bless you. We'll miss you. 
your friends in Christ at, and then the name of the church. What you need to know is that the majority of people on my board were black. And I doubt that any of them could have written and published something like this woman. But then again, it's been a long time. Most of these people are all gone now. And in our church in the Bronx, and I know this to be true in many, many places, it was Christ that was preached. Christ. Unaffected, not amended, not edited. Christ. In you, the hope of glory. Christ. And the church has been corrupted for a long, long time. But that corruption, like a cancer, is metastasizing. It's becoming worse. So I exhort you today to put your eyes on Jesus alone. You can find him in the pages of this Bible or anyone like it. Put your eyes on Jesus. Pray for those who are more afraid of the true light, regardless of what their academic accolades are or who they are in pretense. Put your eyes on Christ. You remember the saying of Thomas Jefferson when he wrote these words, And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated but with his wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. We who believe in Christ, not in theologians, not in flesh and blood, are looking for that day when Christ has promised he will return to judge the living and the dead. We who are Christians remember the words, give place to vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, said the Lord. We who are Christians are looking to Christ alone for salvation and deliverance. And indeed, he has delivered us from this present evil world. If and only if we keep our eyes on him in the simplicity that we have just read about in our verse. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent. We're so often disarmed by letters behind someone's name, including my own. But I didn't have them until about eight years ago. I never felt I needed them. You say, then, Pastor, why did you get them? Well, I was going to write these books anyway, so I figured, why not get academic credit for it? And that was it. It hasn't changed my theology. It hasn't lifted me up any higher intellectually. It actually hasn't done a thing. But oftentimes, I will write with these letters behind my name because I was the one person that was not supposed to succeed. I was the person that nobody thought anything good could ever come out of this person. And I put some of these things on the social media as a testimony, that's it. Others, I fear, put it to disarm people. They say, well, that person may be very smart. Smarter than me, so I better listen. I adjure you by the name of Jesus Christ. Read his word, pray, and keep your eyes on Jesus alone. Jesus alone. He said that these things were hid from the wise and prudent and has revealed them unto babes. And that's what we are. We look to Christ and Christ alone. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. And he to 
whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Listen, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. If you're still with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let's just take a look at a few of these points. I'm speaking to you of the serenity of simplicity in Christ. But may I say now that simplicity does not imply a life that is free from adversity, but that Christ promised us that even in the midst of tribulation, we can have peace and joy even though it's mingled with the troubles this world brings us. Serenity. If we follow the instructions, here it is. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. Remember that it was the Apostle Paul who founded the church at Corinth in Greece. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, or with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, one person, to Christ that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You know what that means by way of analogy. A woman who has not been sleeping around with others before her wedding. Someone who's wearing white legitimately because there are no spots on it of immorality. And here the apostle is saying that your minds would be kept in the simplicity of purity, in the simplicity of holiness, in the simplicity of dedication to Christ alone, lest, he says, I fear. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. There are many, many people who like to bring Christ along and in a sense cause him to speak on their behalf by quoting his scriptures or misquoting his scriptures or putting scriptures together that don't go together. But Christ will have none of that. Christ speaks for himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Christ speaks for himself. And the Apostle Paul was concerned of the Christians in and at Corinth. They were already having tremendous problems inside the church, including immorality. And a discipline was issued, a commandment from the Apostle in 1 Corinthians uh, was implemented, and he follows up with a second letter. I'm concerned, I'm jealous that you're going to be corrupted. And much of that corruption came from inside the church, thus the epistles were written. The epistles were written to continually not only exhort the brethren, but to correct the errors that were already coming into the church from the very beginning. I'm just simply saying it has metastasized. You know it's difficult today to do real research? Even when I'm doing research for these messages or just on my own, I go on to a Christian site, and all of a sudden the ad pops up, and they make the little closed window, the little button, an X, instead of having on the right side, the left side, it's over here. It takes me a little time to find out, how can I close this window? Many, many times. I just get off the website altogether, but I'll leave that go. It's just frustrating. It's frustrating. When it's coming from professing Christians, when men and women of God are trying to study to bring forth the Word of God, all these distractions that we expect in the world are now found in the church. And it corrupts the mind from the simplicity that is in Christ. Let me define it for you. 
Simplicity is defined as singleness, also as the virtue of one who is free from pretense and hypocrisy. And those are the two that I want to use for this message, that serenity in this world is found in simplicity in Christ. You see, I'm of the opinion that things really are black or white. Or let me say it another way. They really are right or wrong. Right is right, said William Penn, even though everyone's against it, and wrong is wrong, even though everyone is for it. It matters very little to me who writes what book that becomes the number one bestseller on the New York Times. I've seen Christians do the same exact thing and then excoriate the New York Times for the news, whatever they put into their papers, but be very proud that it's number one. Why the duplicity? You don't like the newspaper, you don't like it. If it's number one on the list, it's number one. Why do you have to mention it? Well, it's a minor point. But I want to tell you now a story about how the majority, and I believe often is wrong, but can be wrong. You may not be familiar with the name of this woman, Marilyn Voss Savant. But in a small magazine, Parade Magazine, now some of you have seen it because it comes in as an insert in our local paper. She writes a column. It's not a big column either. And it's called Ask Marilyn. I just read it yesterday. What at first, if you don't look it up and say, well, who is this person giving all this advice? Marilyn Voss Savant. She is the person with the highest recorded IQ in history, 228. And she scored 228 on an intelligence quotient test when she was 10 years old. Has had multiple tests since then and is still 200 and some odd, 226, 228, 229, when you're up that high. That's higher than Einstein. In fact, it's much higher than Einstein. And she writes a little, to my mind, somewhat obscure article called Ask Marilyn in another paper that is almost, again, in my mind, equally obscure. But in her years as a columnist, she's also an author, someone asked her a question about the, what is now known as the Monty Hall problem. Now, it's actually an older problem on statistics and probability and goes under various names. One is which the three prisoners, but it's the same thing. And the Monty Hall show just resurrected it. And this is how it goes. There's three doors you've seen. The price is right. The host here, Monty Hall, says to the contestant, behind one of these doors is a Lincoln Continental, brand new. Behind the other two doors are goats. Then the contestant has to choose door number one, door number two, or door number three. Well, the contestant picks door number one. What is behind that door? It's a goat. So here's the question, though. She was asked, what are the odds out of door number two and door number three that the contestant has of actually getting it right? Her answer was two-thirds. 9,000 people, 9,000 people wrote to her telling her how stupid she was. And 1,000 more, making 10,000 total, were PhDs in mathematics, statistics, probability, and et cetera, and so on and so forth. And these PhDs, they didn't leave her lightly. There it goes. It just shows you that because you have a high IQ, you're not all that smart, lady. Letters like that from people of prestige that we assume are smarter than us because they have a degree or some expertise in their field. And they lampooned this woman. They didn't spare her. I'm talking about the PhDs now. Well, the other 9,000 didn't spare either. 10,000 people criticized Marilyn Voss-Savant. Because she said, statistically, you have now a 66 chance percent of being right. At first, you had 33%. In other words, it's doubled, because now one door is open. And without going through all the details, it turns out she had the right answer. 
Well, what do you think the PhDs did? The great majority did nothing. They just simply went back on campus with their big head and their leathers and their egos and their pride. But one or two of them, one in particular, wrote to her and said, after I have taken my foot out of my mouth, I am now eating crow pie. Marilyn Voss Savant, the woman with the highest recorded IQ, she's in the Guinness Book of World Records, was right. And everyone else was wrong. Noah was right, and the rest of the world was wrong. If we have a singleness of heart and keep it simple, in theology proper, real theology, theologians have always talked about the simplicity of God. It doesn't mean he's not complex. It just means that his attributes are simple. And belief in Christ, though not easy, is equally simple. Love your neighbor. Be holy. Pray. Just simple instructions. Again, not easy. They're not synonyms. Simplicity and ease. But that's where we find the serenity. And that's where our minds are washed from all the confusion. Might I mention that Shaniqua Walker Barnes is first a clinical psychologist. How she wound up in the Department of Theology, you'd have to call for yourself a right to Mercer College. But let me add this. Those of you who sent your children away to a Christian university were at ease because they weren't on the other universities. Let me tell you something. They've become just as bad. And I say worse because they purport to be promoting this. I know of a man personally sent his son away to the Bible college, went off to the Bible college on fire for Christ, came back to his parents' home and told them that he had been told by his professor of psychology that the problems he was experiencing was the parents' fault and began a huge rift between pastor, father, mother, and son. And what is more insulting, irritating, somewhat degrading is the parents paid for it. Simplicity will bring serenity if we just stick with the script. Stay with the text. Don't add to it. God said, if you add to it, I'll add to you the plagues written in this book. Don't take away from it, or I'll take away your part from the book of life. Know yourself, said Sun Tzu, and know your enemy. Ephesians 6, a text we are all familiar with. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, black and white. Put in your ethnicity. It's a fielder's choice. But God says in his book, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Amen. praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And there it is. Now we know the enemy and we know ourselves. 
we're prone to be like Peter, to contradict Jesus. Jesus, you can't go to the cross. That's not in our plan. That's not the way we're going to defeat Rome. But that was in God's plan and still is. And the power that we need does not come from men or from socio-political sources. It comes from God himself. And let me mention this to you as well. For every revival that has ever taken place in history, it had these two elements, preaching and prayer. The simplicity of looking at Christ alone, I'm taking from 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abideth faith, hope, charity, which I'll just simply say love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. In Mark chapter 11, verse 22, and Jesus answering saith unto them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. And when ye stand praying, forgive. If ye have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And it's simple. Have faith in God. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, not billions of years of molecules and slime and whatever else people come up with until finally we got here. By the word of God, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. You live your life to please just one being in this universe. You live your life to please God. That's the simplicity and the serenity of it. With all types of adversity. And also this knowledge. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There is still the serenity of the simplicity that I'm only living to please God. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Because it brings a strength inside that you cannot get in a bookstore or on a university campus. It brings a strength and redoubtability that cannot be gotten in any place except from God himself. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith, and so on throughout the whole chapter. The Hebrews' Hall of Faith. 
And they all have one thing in common. They live their lives to please God alone. You know, it didn't work out so well for a lot of those heroes. They were killed. They were shunned by the people who said, we're of God, and all types of things. But yet there is a serenity in that type of simplicity to live for God alone and only for God. Martin Luther King Jr., the civil rights leader, said something very profound. And I want you to hear this. He said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in times of challenge and controversy. Now, you know, we all know, he, like others, paid for that statement with his life. He was assassinated. But the truth remains. It's not when we are comfortable and everything is convenient. And this is what I'm trying to convey to you, that the world in which we live certainly isn't comfortable, and I believe it's going to become much more uncomfortable and much more inconvenient. But you'll find serenity if you keep simplicity in your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And don't allow yourself to be confused by the complicated theorems of those who profess they teach and preach God's word. Noah was right, like Marilyn Voss Savant. So there you have the simplicity of faith. Number two, the simplicity of hope. Also in Hebrews, but chapter 6 says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Well, keep in mind that the man who wrote these passages also gave his life, the Apostle Paul, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope? We have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. We know what an anchor is, but have you seen ships? I have. They could be in port, or they could be a little bit offshore, or any place for that matter. But when the anchor goes down, then the storm comes up, and the ship is tossed to and fro, to and fro, to and fro. But it doesn't move from the space that it's on. And that is exactly what we're up against and have been from the beginning. We're feeling this, like this, and that, and it's coming up against us. I tell people often that things come at me so fast, I cannot process my thoughts that quickly. And I have a pretty quick mind. But things are coming at me so quickly, I don't have time to process my thoughts. But my aim is that no matter what happens, I'm still in the same place and position, looking at God alone and living only to please Him. Standing on the Word no matter what happens, and having done all to stand. There is the simplicity of hope, which God tells us is an anchor for our souls, that no matter how much we're tossed to and fro, we will not be moved. In Titus chapter 2, at verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope. Now, let me just stop there and say, isn't this incredible? I mean, this is Rome, Paul. This is Rome. And we're Jews. And we're up against it with these Caesars and these invaders in our land. And they've taken over and so on and so forth and made us slaves and killed us and all of this. But the Holy Spirit tells the Apostle Paul, look up because Christ has given us a strong consolation. We are looking for this here as he goes on to write these words looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. I mean, what kind of advice is that? In the midst of an empire that crushed everyone, every nation, every ethnicity, 
with the iron heel of its boot to say, look up, our hope is in the invisible God. But though he's invisible, we can sense his work. And though he's invisible, we can have his power on the inside. Epictetus, he said that if you're looking for approval from the outside, you have compromised your integrity. Don't look for approval from men, and don't worry about their scorn. Jesus said, they can destroy the body, sure, but after that, they have nothing more they can do to you. Nothing. If you are looking for approval, he said, from the outside, you have compromised your integrity. Don't do it. We here are looking for deliverance from Christ. And in this generation, like other generations as well, we are lampooned for that. I won't go through this long and somewhat turgid definition of what is incarnate theology, but it means simply let's take Jesus to the streets. And they put these things forth, and it sounds so sophisticated. I had to investigate it myself, incarnate theology. What, well, what is that? Uh, we're just taking Jesus to the streets. Wow, that's something I never heard. Take him to the streets. That's never been done before. But it sounds sophisticated, so it grabs the attention. Let me tell you something. I want to say it was you, Latimer, that said in the one of being burned to the stake, which is ironic, to set yourself on fire for Christ. I know Wesley said it as well. And people will come and watch you burn. You may not be able to see God with your eyes, other than in nature and so on. But the power that you know, the indestructible power of an eternal life, which is the life of God himself, that cannot be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. Though men can destroy your body, it cannot. They cannot. No one can. Satan cannot touch you on the inside with the Holy Spirit. Lastly, the simplicity of love. Read through 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not, and I'm transposing the word charity to love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding gong or tinkling cymbal. You go through all of this, though I give my body to be burned and all my clothes to feed the poor. Well, that's a good thing, but it's not done in love. He says, I am nothing. I'm a nobody. I'm a sham. I'm a hypocrite. Remember the word simplicity not only means singleness, it means free from pretense. It's not putting on the mask and saying, hi, I'm Pastor Ray. It's being Pastor Ray or Ray Barnett, if you prefer, at 3 a.m. in the morning or 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I disdain hypocrisy. If I was going to sin egregiously against God, you would be the first to know. Because I would not stand in this pulpit. I would not stand in any pulpit and pretend I'm righteous when I know I'm not. But I stand before you today with a clear and clean conscience that to this very day, and this is my plan for the future, I have given God everything that I can think of on a daily basis. Because I serve Christ alone. And that gives me what seems to be a difficult thing to find today. That's a good night's sleep. No matter what I've been through on any given day, I can still put my head on the pillow and say, God, I did my best, and my conscience is clean. And when my conscience is not clean, I go right to God and say, God, forgive me. God, help me. And so on. It's simple. And again, I remind you, it's not easy, but it's simple. And I would think, and I hope, that that's what you're looking for. We hear the word downsizing. It's a new buzzword for you're fired. Sorry, we're reorganizing and downsizing. And so many, there's some of you here, they downsize the other guys or the other gals, whatever you prefer, and they said, now you're going to do the work of all three. And I know because we've talked about this. It's insanity. It's insanity. 
But you see, that's the way men talk. We're downsizing. And so when you leave with nothing, and you go home, and you say to whoever is there, you know, your husband, your wife, you say, oh, we've been downsized. Years ago, they just simply say, well, I'm sorry, you've been fired. That's the subtlety of Satan. It makes it sound like you weren't fired, but you were. It makes it sound like you don't have money, but you don't. But if you have God, you will always have God. And if you have Christ, you will always have Christ, no matter what. And I know this, not only from reading it, but after 44 years of serving him, I can say he has never, ever disappointed me. Not even one time. The famous Scottish preacher Henry Drummond, in preaching on 1 Corinthians 13, said this, You will find as you look back upon your life that the moments when you have truly lived are the moments when you have done things in the spirit of love. Now abideth faith, hope, love, these three things. But the greatest of these is love, God's love, done God's way. This world will continue to produce many spiteful, wicked, and evil people. How do I know that? Well, logic. I read newspapers. Well, not papers, but I read on the Internet and God's Word. In the last days, perilous, which means stressful, times shall come, and they have come. Now what do we do? Fold like a cheap tent? Or do we have the intrepid spirit of serving God and fearing Him only and saying, no matter what, at the end of this evil day, I will be found standing. Let me say one more thing as I close. We hear so much about social injustice here in America, and we have many people watching us on the live stream from Kenya, from Ghana, Uganda, so many nations, I'm forgetting them all, the Punjab, Pakistan. And I'm wondering to myself how they feel about some of the things they read and hear about the injustices in this country when in a place like Mozambique, Today, there's nearly a million people that have been displaced by Islamic militants and 3,000 of them, including children as young as 11, who's had their heads lopped off. I just wonder how the world looks to them from their point of view. But in any case, to live is Christ and to die is gain. God help us to find serenity and simplicity in Christ. But I'm going to tell you this. Because if you're looking for it any other place, in your home, in your marriage, with your children, with this, with that, the government, the president, you are going to be disappointed again and again. That's the secret of real serenity. It's keeping your mind focused on Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. It is the day you have made. Regardless of what comes our way, it is still the day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Even in the evil day, it has its purpose, and so your scriptures tell us that. Oh, Father, we bless you, and we praise you, and we thank you. You caused us to be born and to be alive in a time of great turmoil, but you also comfort us with the knowledge of what your book says, your Bible says, and we thank you. I thank you by faith that no matter what, Lord, at the end of the evil day, we will be found standing in Christ alone. Oh, God, cause your people to put on the helmet of salvation the breastplate of righteousness, have their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, a shield of faith that thwarts every single dart of Satan, and a sword, the Bible, that can kill every single demonic power in the universe. Cause us, God, to find the serenity and this type of simplicity in Christ. 
You know, while your heads are bowed, if they're not bowed, please bow them. And I just want to just say this. To me, it's just being a champion of the obvious. But, I mean, really, is there anybody here today that says, I'm not really stressed. I haven't been stressed. And if that's the case, I'm going to say that I cannot relate to you at all. Well, I mean, I'm happy for you, but I can't relate. Because I'm telling you that in my own life, the stress just keeps building and building and building. And the more that I say I'm going forward with Christ, the more the enemy comes up against me. Well, so be it. That's what it is. But is there anybody here, seriously, that can say, gee, I'm not stressed. We are all in the same boat. Don't you think any differently. Don't think your stress is different than mine. I don't think that mine is different than yours. And most of your stories I know. And so now, as we look to God individually, it becomes even more important that we love one another fervently. Because life is much easier, difficulties especially, are much easier with allies than just being alone. So I want to pray with you one last thing. God will cause us not only to love him, but to love each other, to encourage each other. And at the end of the day, to be found standing at our post, doing our duty and fulfilling our responsibilities. God help us. So my closing prayer, Father, is that we would be, especially in this time, an encouragement and an ally to one another. We cannot avoid the stress, the difficulties, the chaos, the hatred, the vitriol. And so it's written that this would be before you would return. But we can be a source of encouragement to one another in the closet of prayer in private. And when we are with each other, just showing the kindness, the empathy, and the sympathy that we all need. Father, baptize us in your love. Baptize us, O oh God, with your spirit, not the spirit of the world. We thank you. And we bless you. We shall overcome. So, Father, we thank you. We have an anchor. We have a hope. We have a rock to build our house on. Obedience. We bless you and we praise you for the knowledge of who you are. And not only what you can do, but what you are going to do. Oh, bless your name. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. And forget not all of his benefits. Bless his holy name. Touch each one of my brothers and sisters, not only those that are here in this sanctuary today, but those who have been watching, those who are listening on the radio, and help them to encourage themselves in the Lord and to be encouraged by other brothers and sisters in Christ. Give everyone safe traveling mercies on their way home. I also ask you, God, to help us to appreciate your goodness. And all that we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen?